I'm so excited you guys are here. You know, last week when the church was closed, Sean was here. There, there was only a couple of people last week because the church was closed for COVID. So, Sean, you knew I was preaching at you last week, didn't you? It is so lovely to see your faces, and we want to just welcome all of you who are watching by the internet right now as well. But it makes it more special. I love you guys, and it's so wonderful when we can see you face to face, and I can see those quizzical looks on your face or know when you're agreeing. Usually, sometimes behind the mask, it's hard to tell. But let's have a prayer once again. Oh, glorious Father, thank you for this beautiful worship service so far. Thank you, Lord, that we live in a time, Lord, when we can worship freely. And Father, where we can come to you, bend our knees in prayer, and know that it pleases you when we commune with you. Now speak to us through your Holy Spirit. I pray you'll just get me out of the way. And Lord, teach us from your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, today is the third part of a three-part series. So this is the conclusion. And the series has been recognizing the call of the Lord receiving the call of the Lord, and today it will be responding to the call of the Lord. This so perfectly lines up with the three steps of surrender that God recently taught me. The first step is that you have to know God. You're not going to surrender if you don't know God. So there's knowing God, the second step of surrender is to stop and submit. Stop resisting his love. Stop resisting his plan for your best life and submit to his authority. And the third step of surrender is simply to yield to his leading. Do you see how well this dovetails together, those two teachings? To recognize the call of the Lord, you've got to know the Lord. You've got to know of his immeasurable love, his infinite wisdom, his exceedingly great power. To receive the call of the Lord, you've got to stop resisting his plan and submit to his authority, submit to his instructions, his direction, and yes, even his correction. And then today, we will look at to respond to God's call, we've got to yield to the Holy Spirit. That's what it's all about. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come once again just asking for you to be with us. Speak to us, Lord. Give us ears to hear. In Jesus' name, amen. Please open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians 
chapter 4. What we're going to do is just take a quick look at the recognized offices of leadership in the church. But the reason I want to show you this is so that you will understand the function of those offices. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 11, Paul writes, He himself, speaking of the Lord Jesus, gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. What this speaks to when we talk about the offices of the church, it speaks to the function and the task of those leaders. This is not status. This is not position. It is people that God has gifted for a certain reason to lead in his church. Let's look at what their function is. Verse 12, Ephesians 4, 12. He's appointed these people, why? For the equipping of the saints. And you know that word equipping means to mend, to restore back to an original position, to train. God gave us leaders to train all of us to help restore his image in us. But it says he, he appointed these leaders for the equipping of the saints for what purpose? What is the purpose of leaders equipping the saints to do what? For the work of ministry. He, we are being equipped to minister to others. You know, I'm going to say something here. I'm going to get in trouble. When I first joined the Adventist church, I was shocked at how much many people expect of their pastors. I was shocked. In my mind, what the Bible is saying is the pastor is to equip the saints. We went to a church in Dallas where the pastor wasn't the one who did all of the, the visiting. It was a large church. He wasn't the one that went to the hospitals. He trained a hospital visitation team. He, he, we had, if you ever came to the pastor with an idea and said, oh, I think it would be wonderful if our church would do this. He said, good, God's calling you to do it. I'll help you. I'll teach you. See, sometimes we sit back on our laurels and it's kind of like, well, the pastor didn't do such and such. He's here to teach us to do the work of ministry. It is every one of us is called to the work of ministry. And I'll tell you what, when we think about that, the works vary and God gifts each one of us in a different way so that we can meet our place in the body of Christ. But it's works of ministry for the purpose of three goals. Let's look at verse 13. Here's our first goal. Till we all come to the unity of the faith. Praise God, I love Adventist 
Seventh-day Adventist Christian doctrines, they are so biblically based. And I would say, of all the churches that I'm aware of, we are the closest to the unity of the faith. And number two, the goal is of the knowledge of the Son of God. And I believe we know a lot about that. The third goal is so that we become, all of us, perfected. This is mature, to become a mature servant of the Lord to the measure of the status of the fullness of Christ. When we think of spiritual service, it's different for every believer. But every believer is called. You will remember after Stephen was stoned, what happened to the early church? They were scattered. Acts 8 4 says they were scattered and went everywhere, preaching in the world. The persecution was so great that the church had to scatter. But the benefit of the scattering was those who were carpenters, household servants, tanners. Whatever their business was, tent makers, they went out and shared the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're all called to do that. We know that, that um, excuse me, if I wince, I'm having a little shoulder pain. We know that Ryan has been called to the office of evangelist. But you can't say, oh, I don't have the gift of evangelism because evangelism isn't a gift. Evangelism is a lifestyle. It is a lifestyle of sharing. It is not meant to be an event. It's not for just a few. It is our obedience for each one of us. It's our obedience to the Great Commission. Now, open up your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 6, if you will, please. This is, we've been using Isaiah 6 as our theme text. And while you're turning there, let me just kind of give the background again. Here we've got a man of God. He's a priest. He's in the temple of God. And as he presses into the presence of the Lord, he gets an expanded vision of who God is. He sees God high and lifted up his train, filling the temple. And suddenly, what is Isaiah's experience? The closer we get to God, the more we recognize our own sin. And Isaiah is going, woe is me, I'm undone. I'm a man of unclean lips and I live in a pea, in a land of people of unclean lips. And we, we talked about it last time. Unclean lips means what? An unclean heart. For out of the heart flows the abundance, or out of the mouth flows the abundance of the heart. So God has an angel take a coal, come and touch. This is all figurative language. But he comes and he touches Isaiah's tongue. He's getting him ready for service. And then all of a sudden, look at Isaiah 6 and verse 8. So here Isaiah is going through this incredible experience. And then he says, also, 
I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send? Who will go for us? Isaiah knew God. He could recognize his call, this call of majesty and power, but a call of love. And let me tell you something. God is looking for those who will go willingly. He never forces us to serve. He never violates our free will. But Isaiah heard God's call, and he continues in verse 8, Isaiah 6 and verse 8. When he sees God and hears God say, whom shall I go? Sin, who will go for us? You know what Isaiah does? He says, here am I. Here am I. Send me, Lord. That should be all of our responses. When we understand that time is short, God is calling We should be saying, yes, Lord, send me whatever I can do. Is it sending me in my neighborhood? Is it sending me when I'm out shopping? Is it sending me to go speak in churches or to, as Laura did, to sing? Whatever it could be that God is sending you with a loaf of bread to a new neighbor. But we need to be asking the Lord, send me, here am I. But now, we usually stop right there. Let's go forward. God is about to warn Isaiah how difficult responding to the call will be. He's already recognized the call of God. Isaiah has receiving the call of God. Now God gives this warning. Verse 9, Isaiah 6 and verse 9. He, God, says to Isaiah, go and tell this people, keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull because they're going to keep resisting your message. The more you speak to them, the harder their heart gets. Make their ears heavy. Shut their eyes, lest they see with their eyes. Hear with their ears and understand with their heart and return and be healed. God is warning Isaiah, for the most part, his message is going to fall on deaf ears. It's going to be difficult. And Isaiah is stunned. Here he is. Oh, here am I, send me. And God says, ain't going to be easy. So when he says this, Isaiah says in verse 11, Lord, How long? And God answers him and says, until the cities are laid waste and without inhabitant, the houses are without a man, the land is utterly desolate, and the Lord has removed men far away, and the forsaken places are many in the midst of the land. So he's saying, oh, it's going to be all the way through the Assyrian captivity, right up till the time of the Babylonian captivity. But then God lets Isaiah, no, his ministry won't be in vain. There's going to be a stump. There's going to be a remnant that will be saved. Look at verse 13. God says, but yet, even though we're talking about laying the places bare in the land and they're going to be forsaken, 
but yet a tenth will be in it and will return and be for consuming as a terebinth tree or as an oak whose stump remains when it was cut down. So the holy seed shall be in its stump. Oh, Isaiah, it's not going to be easy. Witnessing for me, sharing my word, is not going to be a cakewalk. But a tenth are going to listen. A tenth will listen. There will be a remnant. And Isaiah committed right there on the spot, willing to obey God, no matter what difficulty. He wasn't going to back down. He had seen the Lord. I had lifted up. So Isaiah recognized the call of God. He received the call of God. And in accepting the call of God, he realizes there's three conditions. One, in responding to the call of God, he knew things would not always be easy. Two, in responding to the call of God, it meant that he, Isaiah, was just a seed planter. Only God can change a heart. He was out there to speak, plant the seed, speak the seed of his word. And number three, in responding to God's call, it would require Isaiah, to be fully dependent upon God's strength. Do you realize it's the same for us today? Whether we are responding to his call for our personal relationship with him or our call to ministry service, it isn't easy to always respond to the call of the Lord. We get in the way, don't we? Our human nature gets in the way. But when we're out speaking, we remember we're planting seed. And we remember we're yielding to the Holy Spirit. So let's look at these three, these three steps to responding to God's call. Except it won't always be easy. Isaiah, in the presence of the Lord, became painfully aware of his own shortcomings. Let me tell you something. Every one of God's people, every one that he has used in an amazing way, has had their faults. They've had their personality quirks. They've had their challenges, and they've faced temptations. Every single one of them. God takes ordinary people, and when they will surrender to him, he does extraordinary things through them. But it's not because they're special. It's because they're surrendered. And you know, it's interesting. Once we've tasted the refining grace of God, it makes us eager to share. Do you remember when you first met the Lord? How many people did you talk to about your experience? It's like you're talking to everybody that you meet. But here's the point. The devil will do everything in his power to discourage you. 
He will do everything in his power to say, you're not good enough to share, to go out and witness to people. We have to remember Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. By grace, we are saved. What? Through faith, not of works that any man should boast. Let me tell you something. We're all in the same boat. No one's any better than the other. Jenny's not better than me. I'm not better than Jenny. When it comes to salvation, salvation belongs to the Lord, and we are in the same boat. So we are not saved by works. But some of us try to save ourselves. Some of us take it as grace plus. Some of us, it's grace plus a vegan diet. You cannot count on your lifestyle to save you. Some of us, it's grace plus obedience for salvation. You know I teach on obedience. But it's supposed to be motivated by love. Obedience does not save you. Look at the Pharisees. I mean, they obeyed the letter of the law, but it wasn't in their heart. So when we are out, the reason I'm even talking about this to you is that if we are called to share the word of the Lord, we better know the good news that we're sharing. Because we do more damage when we go out relying on our own self-righteousness, thinking we're helping God save us. If we pass that on to people, they can actually miss God's message. But we were created for good works. That's what Ephesians 2.10 says. We were recreated in Christ Jesus for the good works that God prepared in advance for us to do. I don't know about you, but I thank God constantly for the privilege that he has given us in working in his harvest field. Do you realize God could finish this work like that? But he does it for our benefit so that we learn, we become a little more like Christ. He empowers us to live this good life he prearranged for us. When we talk about salvation by grace alone, I believe that with all of my heart because the Bible teaches it. But salvation does require a spirit-empowered effort on our part. When we're talking about the effects of grace, the only way you're going to understand the effects of grace is if you understand The gifts of grace. What are God's three greatest gifts of grace? Jesus stood at the well, Jacob's well, talking to the Samaritan woman. And he said to her, if only you knew the gift of God and who it is that speaks to you, 
you would ask him and he would give you living water. If only you knew I am the gift of God. God came down and in the person of Jesus Christ, he took on our iniquities. He made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So not only does he impart or impute his righteousness to us, which means he credits it to us. We've got this bank account that's way overdrawn. Jesus pours his, his righteous acts in there. He credits us. That's an imputation. But he imparts his life source to us. The one who became our ransom and our substitute and our righteousness and reconciled us to, to God. So when you think of grace, remember that's God's greatest gift of grace. What's the second greatest gift of grace? How about the Holy Spirit? In Luke 24, 49, Jesus said, Behold, I send the promise of my Father, the promised gift of my Father upon you. Tarry in Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. Do you realize the Holy Spirit and his empowering assistance grants us the life source of God. He lives in us. He works in us to will and to do his good pleasure. Even obedience is by grace. You cannot obey the Lord unless you have the power of the Holy Spirit in you. What is his third greatest gift of grace? Oh, thank God for his word. The word which James 1.21 says, when the word is planted in you, it has the power to save your souls. See, this word supplies it's supplied by grace, but it supplies us with grace. Does that make sense? When we understand the gifts of grace, we'll understand the effects of grace. Grace is God's divine power of salvation to rescue us from sin and death, to renew a right spirit within us, and to restore us to moral purity. Here's a definition that God gave me for grace, and I think it's beautiful. Divine grace is the unearned, undeserved gifts bestowed by a God of infinite love, which provide his divine assistance and supernatural power unto salvation. If Jesus is God's greatest gift, the Holy Spirit is the second, and the Word is the third, can you see that grace does not give license to sin? I get so upset with people who talk about grace, and they, oh, I can, I'm saved by grace. I can keep on doing such and such in your life. You don't know what grace is. But when we respond to God's call. He takes us out of our comfort zone. Let's look at, turn to Philippians, if you will. 
in Philippians chapter 2. Like Isaiah, when we are sharing the word of God, we may be sharing with some dull-eared people who just don't want to know. Have you ever had that experience? I was talking with a friend today. It's her birthday. She was a Catholic. She's no longer a Catholic. All of her friends are Catholic. But she knows the truths now. And she was saying, Shelly, Catholics don't know anything about prophecy. Catholics don't know anything about anything. She said, I was telling my friend, oh, Mary's hardly even mentioned in the Bible. Here we venerate her. And she said, they get mad at me. So, Dull-eared people who didn't want to hear. But look at Philippians 2, 13. Here's the great promise. Philippians 2, 13. It is God who works in you, both to will and to do for his good pleasure. That's two steps. God lines your will up with his will, but he won't force you to move. He, he, he works in you to will what it requires for him to work in you to do is that you take a step of faith. And as soon as you do, the power of the Holy Spirit shows up and he works in you to do. But look at what it says. Verse 14, Philippians 2, 14. Do all things without complaining and disputing that you may become blameless and harmless Children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. I'll tell you, Ryan probably knows this because he's, he loves history. We think we live in a bad, perverse situation right now. You've got no idea what Rome was like back in the day. It was a wicked and perverse first generation. But we still live like that. It's still a crooked, wicked, perverse generation. But he says, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding, this version is New King James, it says, holding fast the word of life. The Amplifies says, holding out the word of life. See, you can shine like a star in the universe as you hold forth the world of light, the word of light to someone else. And God will work in you to will and to do his good pleasure. So our first lesson in responding to God's call is simply to accept. Not always going to be easy. Now, let's continue. The second lesson to responding to God's call is accept that you are merely a planter of the seed. That's what Isaiah had to recognize. I'm going to be out, I'm going to be speaking, I'm going to be speaking, and God says, they're not turning. So, it's, it's important for us, you know, the woman at the well, when she got... Jesus told her, her life, she went from seeing him as a prophet to something he said to her. She goes like, is this the Messiah? I know the Messiah is coming, she says. And he says, I am he. 
And she runs off and tells the whole city. She's so excited about this. She was energized by faith, motivated by love. And she was a seed planter. When we think about this, I remember someone told someone dear to me who was a little uncomfortable at the church. The pastor came up to him and said, don't worry. It's not my job to save you. Do you realize that? It's not your job to save them. Your job is to be a seed planter. Only God can save them. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Paul told the Corinthians, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then neither he who plants is anything, nor he who waters, but God who gives the increase. All the glory goes to him. You are merely a fisher of men. You are supposed to bait the hook. You bait the hook with a beautiful promise from the Lord, the beauty of the gospel. But let me tell you something. We have to make to, to bait the hook, we've got to make the message relevant to be like Jesus. We need to meet people where they are. But can I tell you, it's not up to you to clean the fish. You know, I'm going to share a story with you. There was a man who finally went to church with his wife. In the midst of the service, his cell phone went off. And the pastor rebuked him from the pulpit immediately. And then after the church service, several other people came up and made some negative comments to him. He was feeling a bit downcast when he left, took his wife home. He went to a bar. When he was at the bar, he spilled this drink. Well, here comes the waiter with saying, oh, I'm so sorry this happened, with extra napkins. The manager comes to him and says, oh, let me buy you a drink on the house. And the man says, oh, no, it was my fault. And she says to him, that's okay, we all make mistakes. Let me ask you, where did he feel more accepted? Now I'm going to tell you another story. There was a Christian, a new Seventh-day Adventist Christian, who we sent to a church. They became a Christian by watching 3ABN. We sent them to a church on the West Coast, not knowing. I mean, you know, it's kind of, we get asked all the time, where's the nearest Seventh-day Adventist church? They're new. They go, and they're prepared to go to fellowship luncheon. And they take a beef dish to fellowship luncheon. It's a clean meat, isn't it? There's no sin in it. I mean, we've got to remember that we're supposed to do everything with moderation. But if you have an occasional piece of beef, you're not going to go straight to hell. Do not pass go. Do not collect $200. So what happens? The, the fellowship community, uh, uh, the team, thought, oh, we can't put out a beef dish. So they called the elder who gives the man a brusque teaching on the vegan diet. And the man never returned to church. At least 
as of several years ago. Sometimes we make salvation issues out of the silliest things. So what we have to do is speak the truth in love. That's what Paul told the Ephesians to do. We're just supposed to share. We're not supposed to be judgmental. We are to respond to God's word. Turn turn to Acts 26. I want to show you this. It's one of my favorite scriptures. Acts 26. When we are responding to God's call for ministry service, for good works, to spread the gospel, we're merely eye-openers. Look at what Paul Christ told Paul on the road to Damascus, Acts 26, 17. He says, I now send you to open their eyes. He was sending Paul out to speak the word so that people could open their eyes. And then it says, in order to turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God, hey, that's conversion. That's God's business. It is only by the power of the Holy Spirit that anyone can change and turn from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to the power of God. So Paul was merely an eye opener. And then Jesus says, go open their eyes so that I can convert them. So that, here's the purpose statement, they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. So our first lesson in responding to the call, it's not always going to be easy. The second lesson is get over yourself. You are a seed planter. You are an eye opener. But you don't, if you realize salvation doesn't belong to you, it belongs to God. It makes you a whole lot more bold. Because you're able to go out and say, like Isaiah, okay, Lord, I'll go spread it. It's up to you to find that remnant. Lord, you will touch the remnant. You will save. Now, let's look at the third part of responding to God's call. You've got to accept then we must be fully dependent upon the Holy Spirit's strength. We've got to yield to the leading of the Holy Spirit. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 2.12, Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. So let me tell you something. I can't believe this. I preach it all the time. I speak it all the time. Don't raise your hands. Did you pray to be filled with the Holy Spirit this morning? If you didn't, you shouldn't have left home without him. We are empty vessels. I mean, leaky vessels. You know, we've got to... The thing about praying, when Jesus said, ask and keep on asking, seek and keep on seeking, knock and keep on knocking, that's Luke 11, 9, he comes down to verse 13 and tells us what we're asking and seeking and knocking. He says, 
How much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask and keep on asking? I want to tell you something. You're nothing. Please listen to me. I'm nothing if the Holy Spirit is not in me. And the reason I think it is so good to pray daily for the Holy Spirit is it helps us recognize our dependence upon his power. We quit thinking we're so great. We're looking to God for his leading. And you know, Jesus said in John 14, verse 15, if you love me, keep my commandments. And as a result of that, of you keeping his commandments, he goes on in verse 16 saying, and when you do, I'm going to ask the Father, and he will give you Allos Paracletos, another helper who is just like me, the spirit of truth. Let me ask you a question. What would happen in your life if you were to fully surrender to the Lord? What would happen if you surrendered totally to his love, to his plan, to his leading? I'm going to give you a homework assignment. I don't want to keep you here all day. So we're going to go through a number of scriptures very rapidly. And I see Robbie Dee's getting her pen and paper out right now. Because you know what I love about Robbie Dee? She takes notes at church and she goes home for Sabbath afternoon and she looks up the scriptures and reads them herself. I think that's wonderful. This is your homework assignment. This is your assignment. <coughs> if you don't already have plans for the afternoon, I want you to jot down just the references. Don't try to, we're going to move quickly. But I want you to look these up because I, I don't believe it, but so many people still don't realize how important it is to receive the Holy Spirit on a day-by-day -day basis, to rely on the Holy Spirit, to yield to the Holy Spirit. So what happens when you yield to the Holy Spirit? You're going to be strengthened. Ephesians 3, 16 and 17. Ephesians 3, 16 and 17 says that according to God's mighty power and the riches of his glory, you're going to be strengthened with might, with dynamite power through his spirit in you so that, this is the purpose statement, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith. The only way Christ can dwell in your heart is by faith through the power of the Holy Spirit. And as Colossians 1.27, for those who are taking notes, Colossians 1.27 tells us that Christ in you, healthy in you by the power of the Holy Spirit. But Christ in you is your hope of glory. That's your hope of becoming like his character. So what happens when you yield to the spirit? You're going to have new direction to your best life. Romans 8:14. Romans 8:14 says those who are led by the spirit 
are children of God. Isaiah 30, 21. Isaiah 30, 21 says, your ears will hear a word behind you saying, this is the way. Walk in it. Whether you turn to the right hand or whether you turn to the left, the Holy Spirit will direct you. Psalm 1611, Psalm 1611 says, he will show you the path of life and you will find fullness of joy in his presence. Oh, I need the Holy Spirit. I need that strength. I need his direction. But when you're filled with the Spirit, listen to this, you're filled with the essence of God, of his nature, his self-sacrificing love. Romans 5.5 says the love of God is poured into your heart by the power of the Holy Spirit. You're commanded to love. I can't love the Lord my God with all my heart, soul, strength, and might without the aid of the Holy Spirit. I can't love my brother as myself without the aid of the Holy Spirit. And listen to this. Some people say, oh, love, love, love. Why are you always talking about love? Because love is the absence of sin. Love is the absence of sin. There is no sin in perfect love. Listen to, just jot this down, 1 Thessalonians 3. 12 and 13. 1 Thessalonians 3, 12 and 13. One of my favorite scriptures. Paul writes to the Thessalonians and he says, May the Lord make you increase and abound in love to one another and to all. So who's doing the work here? May the Lord cause you to increase in this love. So that, anytime you see that or so that, it's the purpose statement. And he says in verse 13, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness. Holiness is the absence of, of sin. Love is the absence of sin. And as God causes you to increase and abound in love, he establishes your heart blameless in holiness. Before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. How many of you want to be blameless in holiness? We've, we've got to say, Lord, fill me with your Holy Spirit. Fill me with your essence of self-sacrificing love. Oh, Lord, fill me. As Romans 15, 13 says, Romans 15, 13. He, he says that you will overflow. You're going to bubble over with joy and peace and hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Don't you need that? Don't you want to love like God loved? Don't you want to bubble over with joy and eager expectation of what God's going to do? If you rely on the Spirit, Romans 8, 26 for my list takers, Romans 8, 26. He will teach you to pray. As a matter of fact, I want to encourage each one of you Every time you sit down to pray, first ask the Holy Spirit to lead your prayer. You're going to be shocked at the difference. We can sit and pray 
And it's what's coming to our mind. But when we open our mind to the leading of the Holy Spirit, who should I be praying for? What should I be praying? That's when it gets powerful. John 14, 26. John 14, 26. The Spirit teaches you all things. He's your teacher. 1 Corinthians 2, 12 through 14. 1 Corinthians 2, 12 through 14. He gives us understanding of God's word and his will. Oh, I want that understanding. I want him to teach me. I want him to lead me in prayer. God's word is spiritual. It is spiritually discerned. Every time you open the word of God, pray and say, Lord, by your spirit, teach me. Fill me with your spirit, Lord. You, you can't understand this word without his leading. Jesus said in Mark 13, 11, okay, you're going to respond to the call. Hey, don't worry beforehand. Premeditate what you're going to speak. But whatever is given to you in that hour, speak that. For it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. You know the greatest witness? The one witness, the word that nobody can deny is your testimony. They can argue with you till the cows come home over certain doctrines. But when you tell somebody how God has changed you, that's your greatest Testimony. Okay, we need to yield to the Spirit because the Holy Spirit gives us power over sin. He helps us overcome. On your list, Romans 8.13. Romans 8.13, if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Do you see that's two of you working together? The Holy Spirit's not going to put to death the deeds of your flesh without your permission, without your cooperation. But neither can you put to death the deeds of your flesh without the Holy Spirit's power operating in you. Philippians 2.13, we've already looked at that. Philippians 2.13, that. God will work in you by the power of the Holy Spirit to will and to do his good pleasure. And he will transform you. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, 2 Corinthians 3.18, that the Holy Spirit will lead you from glory to glory as he's changing you into the image of Jesus. We need to yield to the Spirit's leading. You can't even be a Christian without it. You know, God is looking for a faithful people that he can empower to finish his work. Second Chronicles 6.19 says, The eyes of the Lord run to and throw throughout the whole world to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal toward him. So the first lesson in responding to God's call is you just got to accept. It's not always going to be easy. The second lesson in responding to God's call is to realize you are a seed planter. 
an eye-opener. The harvest belongs to the Lord. The conversion comes by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's not your job to save. It's your job to share. And the third lesson is that there's no way that you can respond to God's call if you are not surrendered to the yielding, uh, yielded to the leading of the Holy Spirit. We've got to know God. We've got to know his immeasurable love, his infinite wisdom, his exceedingly great power in order to recognize his call. It's, you know, we love him because he first loved us. We've got to stop and submit. Stop resisting his plan. Stop resisting his love. Submit to his authority. Submit to his instructions, his correction, his direction. Then we've, that's how we receive the call. But to respond to his call, we have to yield to the Holy Spirit. That's all there is to it. I'm going to ask the, the uh, team to come on up. You've got to yield to his lead to respond to God's call. Let me ask you, what hinders you from total surrender? What hinders you from total surrender? What changes would you have to make in your life to recognize, receive, and respond to God's call? I want you to hear today the words of our Savior. This is the great invitation. This is Matthew 11, 28 through 30. And Jesus is inviting all of you today. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy. And my burden is light. And you have to accept that great invitation before you can fulfill the great commission, which is in Matthew 28, 18 through 20. The great commission is saying, Jesus came, spoke to them saying, all authority has been given to me, not only in heaven, but on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you until the end of the age. I want to tell you something. God has a mission for you. A co-mission. It is you and the Holy Spirit working together to respond to the call. If you love Jesus, 
Stand to your feet right now. If you want to respond to his call and let him know, Lord, you've loved me. I love you enough that motivated by love, I will walk in obedience and respond to your call. Do you love Jesus this morning? If so, sing this song like you mean it. Oh, how I love Jesus. everyone for their tender heart. Let's pray right now. Father, we come once again in the name of Jesus. Lord, thank you for Bobby's tender heart. Thank you, Lord, for the changes that you are doing in each one of us. We give you all the praise and all the glory. Lord, we're learning to recognize your call. We want to receive it. We want to be like Isaiah saying, here am I. Oh, Lord, take me, send me. And I just pray, Father, that we will each remember to recognize your plan is total dependence upon you. You get all the praise, all the glory. Oh, we love you, Lord. 
We love you. Thank you in Jesus' name.